0: Hey everybody, it's Nick. Um, Looks like Ryan's going to be out this week. He's in Colorado going to Mile High Comics, so it's just me tonight. So this is going to be either entertaining or a complete flop. So let's get started, right? So we usually talk about one new comic that just came out. We decided last week that we were going to talk about Transformers Back to the Future. And I got to tell you, this book is pretty fun. It's Written by Kevin Scott and drawn by Juan Samu. And in this book, you have Marty McFly, Doc Brown, Biff Tannen, uh, Bumblebee, and Optimus Prime for the Rumble, Ravage, Megatron, Soundwave, and Starscream. It is 1985, right in the time of Transformers and Back to the Future. So this kind of makes sense. So... It's been a while since I've read this probably about a week. I don't really remember too much about it but so the Decepticons are out looking for if I remember right they're out looking for um, Energon and they come across the Hill Valley Mall and they're reading transtemporal particles once the well they see they see Marty and the whole thing with the terrorists go down and they pick up, Transtemporal particles. So they're like, time travel? Humans found time travel? This is perfect. <clears throat> you know, Megatron's like, this is what I've been waiting for. The means to destroy the Autobots forever. So they go out looking. Um, Ravage and Rumble go out to the Lion Estates and they're looking for Marty's house, and they find the time machine, and it takes off into the future, and Bumblebee shows up. And he fights Ravage and Rumble and pretty much takes them out. And Ravage turns into a cassette and Bumblebee runs him over, kind of just you know uh, takes him out of the action. And the Decepticons find the the car, right? And Marty goes to bed and wakes up and it's a dystopian future where it looks like the Decepticons have taken over and they're making the humans power energon cubes and. There's one human in charge, and that's Biff Tannen. He's Coordinator Tannen, and you know he is in charge of getting the labor to keep working. Marty, of course, is Marty from our time, or from his world. He remembers that this is wrong, and he starts to pick of a fight with Starscream, and, star scream, and <laughs> they're just like, "Go get him! Go get him!" and the DeLorean shows up, and it transforms into a robot in front of him, and he's like, we have to go back to save the future, to save everything. And that's where this episode, or issue, ends. Pretty good. Pretty funny. If uh, if you like Ghostbusters by IDW, this is right up to a vein. I think you would like that, too. All right, moving on. Um, that was pretty quick. Um... So I also read Spy Island, a, B- a B- Bermuda Triangle Mystery, number one from Dark Horse. Um, trying to see who this is by. This is by Chelsea Kane and Leah mitnernik How do I describe this book? It's, uh, it's weird, right? Um, it starts out, the guy in the ocean, and he's talking about, you know, the, the effects that salt water has on you. You know, it can reduce inflammation, boost the immune system, reduce the stress, improve sleep. And he's just drowning, right? He's getting pulled down in the bottom. And there's pictures of actual fish, like cut and pasted pictures of a hogfish, a rainbow parrotfish, and a queen angelfish. And it zooms on to, there's another lady under the water. There's a lady under the water, and she's actually pulling this guy down. She's murdering him, and she's like, you know, it takes longer to drown somebody in salt water. It can take 8 to 10 minutes for uh, your body to go into cardiac arrest. And she gets out of the water, and it kind of goes through a little bit of her backstory, you know, going through Afghanistan, Rio landfills, Albuquerque. Just This book is crazy. It's good but it's kind of nuts, right? So there, she goes to a fundraiser and she knows that the fundraiser is pretty much just full of spies. And it's for the Bermuda Triangle Preservation Society for Mermaids. So then you're like, okay, so this book is a little bit weird. There's a French mime who's also a spy. There's the typical James Bond type. And all I can say is, it's weird, but it's a good weird, so I would recommend going out and picking it up. If you like different kind of comics, you're going to like this one. I mean, it's only 4 bucks, so it's not so bad. It's not $10 like the new Spider-Man that came out this week. All right, so I also went and our public library opened up, so thank God, because I couldn't afford to constantly go out and buy comics to read, so... I picked up a ton. I picked up Starfleet Academy, um, Harley Quinn volume, and Mr. Miracle on Ryan's recommendation. And let me tell you, Mr. Miracle is amazing. Like, it deserves every award this thing got. Like, that Eisner Award for Best Writer and Best Artist. Oh, my God. It takes Mr. Miracle in a place that, after reading so much New Gods and... Justice League Europe's and Justice League Americas into places where he definitely has not gone. This book kind of like reaches into a very adult like subject matter. And I'm not gonna go into it, but let's just say it's dark. It's very dark. And seeing a character that's always been so bright and cheerful and stuff get this kind of treatment is kind of weird. It's good, weird. I can't believe I keep saying it's good, weird, but this book, I would recommend getting it. I mean, the the one I'm holding right now is twenty five bucks, and and it collects one through twelve, Mister Miracle number one director's cut. Yeah, definitely go pick this up. The artwork is amazing. It's by uh, Mitch Garrod's and written by Tom King. This is this is definitely worth checking out. If you're not into superhero stuff give it a shot. I mean, it might help you get into it, kind of like the old Inhumans book did for a lot of people. What else do I got? This is going to go really fast. 7.10, huh? So I also read Starfleet Academy, number one by Johnson, Parrot, and Charm. This came out in 2016. It started out with the whole, you know, Spock and Uhura dating. This takes place during the new movies. And I didn't really care for that part. You know, we've already seen it. Why would we want to talk, like, read it again? And then it goes into three years later. Um, you see a, a Vulcan walking through the courtyard, and she's talking about quitting the academy. You know, Vulcan's just been destroyed. Her place is there. This place isn't exactly her cup of tea. And she goes to see uh, Professor Trumbull, and he tells her that, you know, Variety will help you, you know. Get get out there, meet some people, and you know, this might be an enjoyable thing for you. She's like, no, I really should probably leave. He's like, well, let me make you a deal. You do one thing for me, and then I will do everything in my power to get you to New Vulcan. Just do one thing, and that is enter the Academy Exploratory Competition. It's uh, the Academy's Centennial Celebration, so they're holding this huge competition between all the different schools of every Federation planet, pretty much. I, I'm not sure it's everything because that would be so many, but and she's like, okay, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it, you know. Um and then it goes back to Uhura. And I'm just like, huh, I don't care. I don't care about Uhura. I'm not reading this about Uhura. I'm reading this about finding new characters that I kind of want to get to know. And Talon, the, the Vulcan, heads back, and she's going to the ceremony that starts the competition. She walks in. There's a delegate of Vulcan students, and they kind of put her down. They're like, apparently you think that hanging out with humans is more important than being back on New Vulcan. Okay. You're what a bunch of dicks, right? <laughs> and they just walk off. She has no... She's not able to respond back to them at all. And then two, two kids in red Starfleet uniforms, or cadet uniforms, come up. And one's a human, and one is an Andorian. I can never remember the Andorians, like, what they are. I don't know why, because I played one on the Star Trek online game. I just have a problem with the word Andorian for some reason. He's kind of a shit. He, uh, he gives her crap that's like, if you, you can't figure out my programming. In 48 hours, I'm kicking you out and getting somewhere you can. And she responds back that if you program this, 48 hours should be more than adequate for me. You know, and they're like, oh, no, this is gonna be fun, right? And they get talking about how they should, like, figure out who the secret, like, the, the most, who they have to look out for the most. What team is going to be their worst challenge? And, of course, it's the Vulcans, of course. And then it pretty much just ends. You know, there's a... There's a talk about going to places that no one has gone to before. And then it just kind of starts their competition after that. It was okay. Like you do without the Uhura and Kirk and Spock thing. Because this wasn't supposed to, It shouldn't be about them. It should be about the new people. Okay, this is, this is going to be a quick episode. I also picked up Harley Quinn. And this is Harley versus the Apocalypse. I don't know why it says Volume 1 on it. It shouldn't say Volume 1. Because this is issue forty-five of the the continuing series, this came out in two thousand eighteen, and it starts Harley's on vacation. She doesn't want to be Harley Quinn anymore. She just wants to live her life. She, she's calling her mom, and her mom's like, "Okay, I know you understand that you you need time to be to to yourself and you know heal up, but you've always been that girl that." Likes teaching jerk faces a lesson. You know, it's in your blood. You're not going to be able to get away from this. They, they have this, I, can't, I don't even, I'm, I'm, my brain is completely dead right now. So they have a like this backstory of her seeing a mailman walking down the street. And there's a dog coming up and it's yapping. And he kicks the dog. And she pulls out the mailbox and smacks him with it. Like so hard that his, his face is all bloody. And she's like this little itty-bitty girl. And that's not exa- Her mom's like, that's not exactly how it happened. And Harley's like, yeah, it was worse. After I was done, he couldn't have kids. and they, We even had to bribe the counselor or the prosecutor. But So she's there, and she's kind of like not even caring that this big dude is picking on this little guy in the background. She's like, I don't care, whatever. And then a boom tube shows up, and it's Lashina and... Bernadette from the Female Furies from Apocalypse. And they're like, You're coming with us. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to stay right here. I'm on vacation. It's cool. And Lashina's all being Lashina, like whipping her stuff around. And Harley kind of like just punches her right in the face with a coconut. And Bernadette just kind of like walks behind her and um, injects her and knocks her out. And so she's goes on this weird trip of being in. This will probably make sense in later issues that she's in a phone booth and all these different Harleys keep popping in like a, like a clown car. That's pretty much what it is. I mean, they're just all over the place. And she wakes up and she's inside this kitchen. She's like, what the hell? Right. And there's this old lady and she's like, Oh, hello, sweetheart. My name's granny goodness. Would you like some cookies? So she sits down and she's talking to her and she's like, you know, where am I? You know, this place is great and all, but like randy takes her outside and she's like holy crap this looks awesome and she sees apocalypse for the first time and granny says you know welcome to apocalypse we have been watching you and we think you are a perfect candidate for the female furies so what you can do what we need you to do is you can take any weapon that we have and enter the sinister snarl which is this huge massive maze you make it to the center and there's a weapon in there specifically for you all you have to do is make it to the center defeat some of dark side's fearsome parademons and you'll be fine well hopefully it's aren't the parademons from the old super friends cartoon because those guys were pushovers but she pretty much like takes them down finds the giant hammer that's in the center and gets a new suit of armor and a new name and now she's called hammer harleen and she's Still in the black and red, but she's in chainmail, and it actually looks pretty cool on her. Like, she looks kind of like a big Barda type. She goes, so I can do anything I want here. Well, this is going to be the greatest vacation I've ever had. She goes out. She beats people up. She does crazy crap. She enters a fight club kind of thing and takes them all down. And when she's fighting, Granny's like, okay, I need you. I need you to do something for me. You know what? I'm, I'm on vacation. I don't care what you need. Just leave me alone. And Granny says, well, you signed up for this, dear. I gave you the suit. I gave you the weapon. I can take it all away. Oh, fine. I'll do what you need. And she tells her that she has to go find somebody named Petite Tina. And every time you know somebody like her name is Petite, they're going to be big. Like tiny or slim or something like that. They're usually gonna be a pretty big guy. And so she's going through apocalypse and trying to talk to some people, like get information, and out of nowhere comes this humongous, like ogre type thing with a giant hammer, horns, spiked teeth. And of course, it wasn't a surprise that Petitina was like nine feet tall, right? And that is where the episode ends, where the issue ends. It was it was Harley Quinn. It was pretty good. I mean, I wanted to keep reading it, but with my life, I don't get a lot of time. Some some news this week: Green Lantern is coming to HBO Max, which is going to be pretty cool, I think. But it's by Greg Berlanti, who gave us Supergirl, Batwoman, The Flash, and I'm hoping it doesn't feel like those. I'm hoping it they get the characters right. They're not trying to. Shove things down our face too fast. The only problem I have with it is, it's not going to be centered around Hal. It's not going to be centered around Kyle. It's not going to be centered around John Stewart. It's going to be centered around like Simon Baz, um, the lesser known Green Lanterns. Well, lesser known for people outside of comics, I would guess. I'd say it should be pretty good. I hope. I hope. I, I, have, I have hope that it's actually going to be good. But, after what they did to Green Arrow after season one,, eh. after how many times the flash has gone into the future or into the past and screwed things up every season, Ugh. how many people in Supergirl have they ruined the story of Red Tornado? Um, ah, that episode is just so bad. I didn't mind Batwoman the the five episodes I saw, but I don't. Maybe I'm just getting out of superhero shows that there's just too much. Like this is the future that I wanted as a kid, but I think there's just too much. They're just pumping s- superheroes into our face too much. We don't have a top 10 list. We don't have news from a store. Um, just trying to think. Um, so back in the day, I did an interview with Kirk of, who he was and why he wanted to be on podcasts and and stuff back in the time, and I realized I've never done it for anybody else. So if there's anybody you guys want to hear me interview on the show, let me know. Or if you want to know a little bit more about me, that's fine. I'll tell you all about myself, but it's not a big deal. All right, guys, I really don't have anything else. Just wanted to get a show out there. So I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good night. Bye. Captain's log,
1: date 6134.6. The mysterious time slowdown we're experiencing has affected not only every crew member on board, but all the Enterprise's instruments and computer banks. It's as if time itself were winding down, and us with it.
2: Sensor readings confirm my hypothesis, Captain. The slowdown phenomena did not initiate until we came within three light-years of that peculiar high-density energy
1: field directly ahead. Shut down all warp engines, Mr. Sulu. I want zero acceleration. Stand by on impulse power. Shutting
2: down engines now, Captain. Spock. Fascinating. The time slowdown seems to have leveled itself the moment we stopped... Approaching the energy field. For the moment, at least, things are
1: getting no slower. That's all I wanted to know. Mr. Chekhov, bring us around to 134.8 degrees on full impulse power. I want to put at least 10 light years between us and that energy field. I say. As soon as we began moving in another direction, the slowdown effect started reversing itself. And in moments, the crew and the instruments aboard the Enterprise were back to normal. Just in time to face a problem of a different nature.
3: Alien vessel moving along our
1: starboard at warp three, Captain. Very well, Mr. Sulu. Shift over to warp one and remain on this course. Lieutenant Uhura, open all hailing frequencies. I'm trying, sir. Let's see what our shadow looks like. Activate the screen. Screen on, Captain. What do you make of it, Spock?
2: Curious. Although I'm not familiar with the design of the vessel, I would most certainly say those markings on its hull suggest we're being flanked by a warship.
4: Message from the alien craft coming through now, sir.
3: Attention, enemy unit. This is Conrack speaking. Surrender your vessel at once or face annihilation. You do not have long to decide.
4: End of transmission, sir. What was that you
2: were saying about a warship, Spock? Perhaps this other ship believes we are responsible for the time slowdown. Well, that would certainly explain their hostility. They certainly don't feel like explaining it. Damage report. One of our
3: shields
4: is buckling. Moderate casualties in decks 35 to 38. Warp engines holding steady. Arm
1: photon torpedoes, Mr. Chekhov on torpedoes armed and ready, sir. Very well. Bring us about to 25.5 degrees, Mr. Sulu, and we'll be in position to... A moment, Captain. Something strange on my sensors. Report, Spock. Although the dimensions of their
2: warship are even larger than the Enterprise, sensors indicate only two beings aboard. Two? Is that possible? Possible or not, it is a fact, Captain.
1: I would suggest it might be wiser to... I'm way ahead of you, Spock. Transporter room. Scotty, are you still there?
3: Aye, Captain. I just finished repairing her.
1: Fine. Scotty, I want you to lock on to two life forms aboard that alien ship. Spock is feeding the coordinates to you now.
3: Aye, Captain. The figures are coming over loud and clear. I'm activating the transporter now.
1: Be careful, Scotty. Spock and I are on our way. A moment later, two shimmering figures appeared in the transporter dock. The one who called himself Conrack turned out to be a fearsome-looking barbaric warrior wielding a double-edged battle axe. Alongside him was his consort a much smaller being whose manner of attire made him look like just what he was, a sorcerer. But by the time Spock and I reached the transporter room, Conrack had already destroyed half of it. Scotty was slumped in a corner, his body bruised and battered, and it quickly became apparent Conrack had me marked for the same treatment. Ah! Captain, Ah! look out! Losing all the advanced fighting techniques at my command, the best I could do was just stay alive. Conrack's strength was frightening. If any one of his blows connected at its full force, I was done for. But Spock had observed what I was far too busy to notice. All during the fight, Conrack's consort stood absolutely still, his hands rubbing his temples methodically, almost as if he were casting a spell. Acting on pure logic, Spock made an assumption, and he was right. Suddenly, the course of the battle changed. Unrack's unbelievable strength was quickly reduced to the level of a normal man. Now I had the advantage and the superior fighting skills.
4: Enough, enough.
2: You have done the impossible. You have beaten me, Captain Kirk. Not so impossible, actually. I simply applied a Vulcan nerve pinch to your consort and caused him to pass out.
1: <sighs> Spock, I suppose I should say thank you, but I don't understand. Everything didn't become clear until we gathered in sickbay a few minutes later, and Dr. McCoy finished examining our pair of invaders. You want to repeat what you just said, Bones? It was very simple, Jim. The little fella... The name is Clee. Sorry, friend.
4: Clee here is an honest-to-goodness sorcerer, to put it bluntly. The peculiar power running through his body defies all analysis. For lack of a better word, I'd have to call the end product of these collective energies inside him... Magic. Magic. I conjectured something of that nature during your fight with Conrack, Captain.
2: It seems Klee was casting a magic spell to give Conrack an incredible degree
1: of strength. Up until now, Conrack had remained somber and silent. But that was before a report from the bridge came over the intercom.
3: Sulu here, Captain. You told me to report any change in the status of the time slowdown area. Yes, Sulu. Well, sir, it's moved. A full 3,000 kilometers since our first sighting of it.
2: Fascinating. Yes, it moves
3: It has its own orbit Conrad, tell us what you know about this thing Our people call it the Gola And its far-flung orbit through this part of the galaxy Brings it in range of our planet at regular intervals A more terrible fate for any world I could not
2: imagine I don't get it Just what does this Gola do? Think about it, Doctor You saw what the time slowdown did to us in just a brief interval. Now imagine an entire planet caught in its stagnating influence for centuries at a time.
1: Now I see. Scientific progress, cultural advances, even your people's thinking processes, it would all slow down to a crawl. Correct, Captain. Klee
3: tells me our civilization is the same age as yours. Yet while your people explore the galaxy in starships, mine are still dressed as barbarians. Your warship
2: Conceived and powered by sorcery, McCoy <laughs> Not science
3: If it weren't for Klee's wizardry We could never have attempted this mission You came to destroy the Gola By any means we could Even if it meant sacrificing ourselves I wrongly made the assumption Your vessel was controlling the Gola And
1: for the attack I am truly sorry Captain's log supplemental Conrack and Klee were sincere their entire race was counting on them to wipe out the menace that had held their culture locked in a standstill for centuries, and now they had the help of a starship.
4: Phasers armed and ready, Chekhov? Armed and ready, sir. Let's hope they do more good against the Gola than the photon torpedoes just did. Fire! Three
2: direct hits, but sensors show absolutely no effect. Your weapons are
4: formidable, Kirk, but the Gola seems to know no weakness. Incredible. Incredible conjecture, Spock? I may just be an old country doctor myself, but I'd say the Gola was warping time all around him, making our phasers and photons detonate either in the past or future instead of the here and now. I'm impressed, Doctor. For a mind
2: of your caliber, that is an amazingly accurate assessment.
1: Spock, you can take your Vulcan mind Gentlemen, then... I suggest we concentrate on the disturbance at hand.
2: Not merely a disturbance, Captain. It is now an enemy. Spock, what are you saying? The Gola is now coming directly toward us. We attacked, and now it's retaliating. That, I maintain, is an irrefutable indication of intelligence. The Gola is a living entity.
1: Well, I'll be... As usual, Spock's logic was faultless and absolutely correct. But this revelation changed our situation dramatically. We were now up against a foe with some sort of mind. Could that fact work for us or against us we just didn't know but spock and clee were up to something finally coming out of a huddle at the far end of the bridge captain clee and i have conceived a possible means of combating this creature
2: through its mind captain kirk spock says he can electronically transmit mental energy into space through your sensors
4: but even if that's true, Spock, how could any of our minds possibly be a match for anything so vast and limitless?
2: A point well taken, Doctor. But a single mind is not the ammunition we're speaking of. Spock thinks our one chance is to attack the goal not with an individual, but a whole culture. Explain, Spock. A composite burst of mental energy, Captain, composed of all the minds of every member of Klee's race down through the ages. The melding of millions of minds into one concentrated channel. Spock, you're space-happy if you believe that's even conceivable, let alone possible. On the contrary, Doctor. It may be impossible in terms of science, but we're not talking about using science here. Magic! Exactly, Captain. I've already shown Klee how to use our computer banks as a storehouse for the millions of mental images he will be conjuring up. I suggest we back away from my consort now and give him room.
1: Conrad was accustomed to seeing Klee's wizardry, but we were not. As his magic drew upon the mind streams of millions of his ancestors, the rest of us stood back in awe. It's fantastic, Spock. I
4: would never have thought such a thing possible. Just how old is your culture, Conrad? How much further does Clee's magic have to reach? The exact date of our origin is unknown.
3: We do know our oldest ancestors came from a far-off planet many eons ago,
1: a planet called Earth. All of us share the same look of amazement. Earth, he said. Could Conrack and Klee be from our very own planet? Before we could explore the topic further, however...
3: The Gola is still advancing and closing fast, sir. Klee!
2: He's ready, Captain. The counterattack will begin now.
1: Klee's hands were gripped around the terminals of the sensor panel. His entire body was surrounded by a shimmering aura. As he transmitted an incalculable energy charge through space composed of millions of separate mental bursts. The sum total force of Klee's entire culture down through the ages. Report, Sulu.
4: The goal of charges slowing, but it isn't stopping him, sir. He's still coming. In heaven's name, it's not enough.
3: It's just not enough. I am afraid our race was not old enough, Captain. Our culture's history has not amassed enough mind power to overcome the goal of sheer mental strength. Spot what the blazes is he doing? He's grabbing the terminals of the sensor panel. He is glowing with the same shimmering aura that enveloped Clee. Oh,
4: my God. I understand.
1: We all did. Spock was picking up where Klee left off, using what was left of the magic spell to force-feed his culture into the sensors.
3: I admire your first officer's
1: courage, Kirk. But how can he hope to succeed where my consort failed? The Vulcan race is one of the oldest in the galaxy, Conrack. Odds are it's far older than your race or ours. That's right, now that I think of it. Vulcan history goes back so far, Spock will have billions of more
4: mind streams to draw from. Look, I think Spock's reached his limit. He must stop.
3: Too much mental energy will kill him.
1: Then it happened. All at once, Spock released the sum total of Vulcan mental energy amassed through millions of years, transmitted through our sensors in one massive charge. And although the invisible charge did not show up on our screens, the result did.
4: Look! Spock's done it! The Gola is backing away! It's trying to flee, but it's slowing down! I believe that last energy burst paralyzed it. That is correct,
2: Conrad. Spock, you're all right? Somewhat exhausted, but feeling satisfactory, Captain. And you, Clean? I'm fine! Now that I know we've finally
4: beaten the scourge of our race! Now that we've got the GOLA where we want it, what do we do with the blasted thing?
2: I am addressing that problem at this very moment, Doctor. Explain, Spock. In transmitting that mental burst to the GOLA, I came in contact with its mental center, Captain, what we would call its mind. I have just completed a circuit that will allow all of us to hear what it is thinking at this moment.
4: Incredible. I never could have guessed such a thing Spock That sounds like the crying of a baby
2: Very astute, Doctor Gentlemen, Gola is a mere infant Not a baby in the human sense of the word but a baby nevertheless It was spawned in the heart of a star sun millions of light years away and its far-reaching orbit has really been a methodical search for its parent The sun that spawned it Yes, Conrad. The fearsome menace your people dreaded is merely a child lost in the stars. Our job now
1: is to locate its home. Captain's log, stardate, 6453.2. After using a long-range tractor beam to pull Gola behind us for several days, we finally released it moments ago. As we orbited the star sun, Spock's calculations had pinpointed as the parent. All of us watched the screen in eager anticipation.
3: Instruments show that Gola is now stationary in the core of the star sun, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Sulu.
4: I think it's safe to say the baby is home. Well, Spock, I've got to hand it to you. As a galactic babysitter, you're not half bad.
1: See you all later. Spock, about Conrack and Klee, something bothers me. Captain, we returned
2: them to their home planet. With Gola gone, they'll begin to progress normally now.
1: I don't see a problem. That part about them coming from a planet called Earth. I can't help wondering if it was our Earth. But there are no historical records of an ancient civilization vanishing from Earth that long ago. Curious. When
2: I took over from Klee at the censors, I picked up brief metal images of his very first ancestors. They were evacuating a sinking continent in spaceships. Spock! tell me captain isn't there an old earth legend about a civilization
1: that sank beneath the sea called atlantis atlantis mr spock would you be surprised if you just solved one of the greatest mysteries on earth of all time surprised hardly captain somewhat pleased perhaps Spock, never mind